Welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with freelance models. Today, I have Marcus Rassan on the other line. Say hello. Hello. Nice to see everybody. Well, see, not really. You know, welcome. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could see each other, but well, I'm lazy and I don't want to do a video podcast again. <laughs> it's so much more editing. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It truly is. I'm so happy that you had the time to do this episode with me. I feel like every time I do one of these recordings, I get to know the person I'm talking to a little bit better. So it's fun for me. Awesome. Yeah. So you've not been modeling lately, but I would like to hear if you could give a description of what your modeling career was like, like how you got into it and then how your modeling progressed over time. Okay. That's actually a really fun story. So I actually kind of started and stopped modeling like twice. So the first time I started, when I really first started modeling, it was before I had moved to DC or anything. I was living in upstate New York with my parents and I was dabbling in photography and a couple other things. And I wanted to take some pictures of my own. And I was, and this was before Model Mayhem was a thing. Everything was on one model place. Mm. I don't even know if that site is still around. So I got a friend of mine to help me take some some artistic nudes in my closet. Uh, Sweet. <laughs> and yeah, and so I put those up on one model place and I got a couple of hits like right away, which was actually really cool. So this was back in like early 2004. Wow. Yeah. So I got a couple of hits right away and some and I was in upstate New York and a guy in New York City wanted to work with me. And I was actually really excited about that. I saw his work. It looked really good. And I was like, okay, yeah, we could totally, let's figure something out. And it was going to be a paid job. And like I had, you know, family friends in New York who I could stay with if I needed to and everything. And it was great. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to go up to New York. And so I ended up not going because at the time this was, I had, I had dropped out of college and moved back with my, moved back in with my parents temporarily and was planning to head back out. Right. I was on my, I was like on the verge of moving. There are a couple, a bunch of things going on and I was planning to move back out. But my mom, who <laughs> my parents, very Christian household, mm. uh, didn't like the idea of me modeling nude for anyone. <laughs> and so yeah, the idea of me, you know, going to New York to model for a stranger, basically, she promptly flipped and so she wouldn't let me go. <laughs> and so I ended up having to turn the thing down. But then I moved to DC to go to, to go to school again. And that's when things got pretty cool. So I moved to DC and I was going to art school and I was, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And I started just doing some really low key modeling for my art classes and things like that. I got a friend of mine through school, uh, took some more pictures of me to put in my portfolio. And then I started working with a local photographer in DC. And I just got a few jobs here and there, like I did some body paint shoots. I did a, a black tape shoot way before the black tape project ever existed. Oh, um, don't tell the black tape guy. I know. <laughs> he'll, 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 he'll come after me. But so we did, yeah, we did a bunch of different art nude shoots and like all kinds of great stuff. It was really, it was very, very fun. And then I got married. <laughs> And moved to Baltimore and didn't do any modeling and was working and trying to go back into school. And then 
after a while, after having a kid and got divorced, <laughs> came back to DC and wanted to try modeling again. And this, at this point, I ended up, I started working as a personal trainer. So I was in the gym all the time. So I was in really, really good shape. And I figured, you know, this is a really good time to, you know, get back into modeling if I'm going to do it. So I decided to try my hand at it again. And, you know, I had some, you know, some friends who I knew through the kink scene, actually, who were into who, who modeled and who did photography. And so I did a couple of shoots here and there, built my model mayhem portfolio, because now that was the site to go on and started getting some more jobs that way and working with the couple of connections that I'd made. And it worked out actually pretty nicely. And that was from 2016 up until right up until the pandemic, pretty much. Like the last modeling job I did was in the winter of 2019. And then the pandemic happened. And then, of course, you know, nobody's doing anything. So, yeah. And then uh, I had some, as a lot of people did, I had a lot of, you know, during the pandemic, we're all isolated. And a lot of people, myself included, got really introspective and started thinking about you know, what I really wanted out of like my life and my career and how I wanted to be represented. And also it was thinking about, you know, what I wanted to do artistically, what I wanted to do in terms of like life in general. Oh, and also between the time that I modeled from way back from 2004 up until about 2006, 2007, from there, I started doing more photography on my own, first of all. And then in that time, I came out as non-binary. And then when I started modeling again, I was modeling as a non-binary model. But people were not reading me as non-binary because I just looked like a tall, muscular black guy. So it kind of, it messed with me a lot. Like it gave me a lot of gender dysphoria. It kind of really screwed with my sense of self and how I wanted to present myself to the world. And while... There were some photographers, I'd say about half of the photographers I worked with fully embraced my identity and were like, absolutely, let's go for it, even though they didn't understand. the. There were a fair amount of photographers who totally just would use the wrong pronouns and call me sir and young man and things like that. And I was just <laughs> like, could we not do that, actually? And they wanted me to like do this kind of like Derek Zoolander shit. <laughs> and I was like, I am a much better model than that. <laughs> and I'm way more interesting. And so, yeah, when the pandemic happened, I decided I didn't really want to go back to it unless I could work with photographers who, one, understood my me and my gender and understood things about the nuances of the spectrum of gender in the first place, and especially about gender presentation when it comes to photography, which gets even more complicated when we're talking about like nude modeling and everything. But I wanted to have people who really understood that. And then also I wanted to make sure that the projects that I was doing, the modeling that I was doing made me feel good, like in my body, not just from a gender perspective, but, you know, as just a person being in front, you know, being in front of the camera. And yeah, that's been reflected in like my photography work. Like when I've been the photographer, I've been really cognizant of how people, how the people who I'm working with want to be represented and how they want to present themselves. I try to be really conscious of that. And so I am not, you know, I'm going to hold myself to the same, same standards that I hold other people to, you know? 
So that's why I really haven't been modeling. Plus, you know, again, some pandemic pounds, not really feeling too good in front of the camera. <laughs> I'm trying to work that off. So, you know, when I feel like I'm back in what I would consider model shape, maybe I'll give it a give it a go again. But that's probably not going to happen until like next year, at least. It's really interesting the way that you described that the photographers that were working with you often didn't want to take the time to like use their photography to express your identity because people have these preconceived notions. And I think it happens with a lot of models where they're like, oh, you are this type of person because I Mm -hmm. see you that way. And the way that I'm going to do my photography is because I perceive that you are this type of person. Exactly. And and a lot of, we've touched on this a little bit throughout the podcast, but a lot of it has been in previous episodes models who get like put in a glamour box and mm. photographers want to photograph them as if they're like a like a playboy spread but this is right. a new and different type of putting you in a box mm-hmm. because they're, they're seeing you from a stereotypical viewpoint that you don't identify with right yeah and exactly and especially being a black assigned male at birth person who is tall and muscular and looks like a lot of other black dudes, they have expectations that I do not meet. For instance, they want me to be all like hyper-masculine and I am not that. They want me to be like this kind of weird, ghetto, fabulous, kind of hyper-masculine, hyper-sexual version of a black person. And that's just like, that's not me at all. Like I am, and I've taken the time to cultivate this, I am a physically graceful person. You know, I trained myself to be that way. I took a lot of dance classes, (laughs) you know, and a lot of yoga to be a lot of yoga and more recently contortion classes and things to be to be flexible and graceful and to present myself in a way that is not that heavily gendered, highly masculinized persona that people seem to want to expect because I don't want to be viewed as a stereotypical black person. There's a lot of imagery out there that people think, ooh, there's thunder. Starting to rain. (laughs) There's a lot of imagery that exists right now and has since time immemorial that represents, that shows Black people in a particular light. And that's changed, you know, from time to time, but it's only changed in the way that the dominant culture has deemed acceptable for Black people. Like Black people, Black men specifically, they're only allowed to embody a small segment of what would be considered the broad spectrum of humanity because the dominant narrative sees black men as athletes and, you know, like movie stars or whatever. Like or they like only rappers see them as, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Rappers, musicians, athletes, they have a very narrow view of what black people are supposed to be and especially of what black men are supposed to be. And so I didn't want to embody any of that despite the fact, despite my own athletic history, you know, and even my interest in hip hop music, it's not the, that's not the persona that I wanted to put forth. I wanted to break away from those stereotypes, even though if I had like kind of dug into those stereotypes, I probably would have made a lot more money, but I wanted to stay true to myself about it. So that had a very large impact on what kind of jobs I could get. And it was really, it was actually really interesting when some people would try to They didn't force me, but some people definitely tried to co 
coax me in a particular direction that I wasn't comfortable with when it came to self-presentation. And I was like, we're, we're not doing that. I'm coming in here with a full face of makeup, <laughs> you know, and we're going to do this. Like you saw my portfolio, you know what I am capable of and what I'm willing to do. This is what we're going, this is how it's going to go. And if that means that I'm only working with you for like an hour because you don't want to do anything other than art nudes because you don't have any other ideas, then okay. <laughs> you know, so that's how that tended to break down. Do you feel that in your, like using your art in modeling to express yourself and sticking to your guns on repetitively over and over, it sounds like you probably had to have this conversation a lot with photographers that wanted to impress their own vision onto you. Do you mm. feel like in, in doing it the way that made you feel good, did it feel like, like you had to be rebellious in order to make that happen? In some ways, yeah. There were multiple negotiations with photographers where they would talk about what they wanted to do. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's not me, really. This is more me. And I would kind of point again at my portfolio and be like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to embody. This is how I want, this is what I want images of me to look like. And then in some cases, it meant that I ended up just not working with those photographers at all. There were not a large amount, but a much larger amount than I would like of photographers who I just couldn't work with at all. Yeah, that's and too then, bad. Yeah. And then there were some folks who they kind of said, okay, well, we can kind of work with that. I'll see what we can do. Or people who were even kind of enthusiastic about the idea, but only because they treated me like a gay man. Okay. Which is not correct either. You know, <laughs> being a non-binary person, I don't like one, my sexuality in general does not line up with gay men at, at, at best I'm pan. And the other thing is that the way that I put myself out in the world is not certainly doesn't fall under the category of a stereotypical gay man, but also like even in the way that I would like present more femininely, the only way I can describe it is like the anime Bishonen aesthetic, if that if that resonates with anybody listening. The idea of like a very pretty boy. That's the closest thing that I could equate to. It. And that's a, like most of the photographers don't know anime, so they'd have no idea what I was talking about if I said that. But like <laughs> they yeah, they just didn't really people just didn't get it. And that doesn't mean that I didn't get some good imagery from people. Like I totally did. They were always surprised at how well I could pose. That was something that constantly people were just like, oh, wow, you really understand your body and your positioning and everything like that. I'm like, yes, I do. I'm very, very careful about that kind of thing. And I'm very intentional about that kind of thing. And people don't expect that. Here's the other thing. People don't expect that out of male models in general. They especially don't expect that out of black male models because they think that all black dudes are like these rough and tough dudes because of the image that's been put out there classically. They don't think of black men, to use binary terms, as like highly artistic, sophisticated, graceful people, unless they're like gay ballet dancers a lot of the time. Right. Like that seems to be like the narrow thing that people fit into. I don't do ballet, you know? <laughs> so, and like I said, I'm not gay. So I don't have, I don't, I don't come in with that, you know? I, I, I would like to say, I would like to say that I first 
came across your Facebook presence, I think in like 2017 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And your avatar picture was really colorful and like your photos were like bomb. And I was blown away because I had never seen anything like that before, like on my feed. And I was like, this person's cool. I'm going to send them a friend request and hopefully we can meet one day. And eventually we did. But I just wanted to let you know that I fanned on your posts and on your photos for like a while before I like chatted with you ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, hey, feeling is mutual there, definitely. But I really appreciate hearing that coming from you, being that you are significantly more prolific as a model than I am. (laughs) But there's something to be said about like the way that you like stuck to your guns and presented yourself so boldly and you could tell even in the more like I suppose somewhat subdued images that are like you know in shot in window light where you're not necessarily doing anything extravagant or wearing anything extravagant even in the simplistic images you were emoting really well and there was always some kind of emotion or or some kind of a uniqueness that Mm. was to me I find that addicting. Like I love when I see somebody that is just really being themselves, even if they are not like falling into, you know, what majority of people think is normal. I think that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On the emotion thing, one of the things that I really tried to do, yeah, I always tried to put a lot of emotion into my photos. I always try to really engage the viewer some kind of way. Especially if I'm looking directly into the camera, I'm always trying to... I could say the cliche the cliche thing and be like, you know, I give them a window into my soul. That's not really <laughs> it. But what it really is is that I'm trying to provide a certain amount of vulnerability in my pictures. Anytime I model, I try to... Yeah, I try to give people at best, like at the very least, I try to give people like just a kinder, gentler view of somebody who is, and especially when I was modeling more frequently, like I had, I was at like, you know, between 10 and 7% body fat and just like, you know, ripples and striations, you know, I was very, very lean. And that tends to be imposing to folks, right? But what I noticed, something I remembered from like art history, nobody thinks that Greek statues are imposing, right? You see a statue of David, you don't think that's imposing. You see like, you know, uh, Hellenistic statues of these, you know, these, you know, these very powerful bodies of Greek men. Nobody thinks of those as imposing. And so I always tried to bring that kind of aesthetic to my pictures because I don't want my stature to be imposing. Uh, And in my pictures, I always tried to make sure that whatever I was doing, that my physicality was not the first thing that people saw, but that people saw like my face. And like, I tried to have as gentle, I always tried to have as gentle a face as possible and try to, and try to like project some of my vulnerability and like, and like, I tried to, because every time I would shoot with somebody, I would try to have some kind of thought process around what was going on, and I would try to project that via my via my facial expression into the pictures. So, wow, yeah, yeah. that's you know that's really that's just you know quality modeling all around, and mm. you know, I, I had a question from earlier that I'm curious about that I'm going to rewind a little bit. Mm. You said that when you first got into modeling 
your first shoot was your friend photographing you nude, like in your closet. Yes. So you were you in like when you first got into modeling, were you immediately just drawn to artistic nudes? Like what what was your inspiration for for doing that? It was a couple of things. I was drawn to artistic nudes uh, just because of my own history as an artist. Like I said, when I moved to DC, I went to art school. So before that, I was doing a lot of drawing. I had done a lot of figure drawing. And I had always wanted to... One of the things about when I was in figure drawing classes, and this is a little bit conceited of me, I never felt terribly impressed by the models I was drawing, <laughs> except on rare occasions. And I was like, okay, well, if I was going to do that, what would I want a model to do? And so when I did the pictures, I was like, I want to try to pose in a way that I would want to draw these. And so that's how I, that's how I kind of thought about it at first. And yeah, in terms of like uh, taking nude pictures in my closet, really what it was was that I didn't have a good area to shoot in in my house. Like I said, it was my parents' house. So oh. <laughs> we didn't really have a good spot to shoot. And I wasn't about to go be nude in our living room. Wow. Uh, so... Uh, we, you know, me and this friend just went into my bedroom and closed the door and we talked about what we wanted to shoot real quick. And we we're like, okay, here we go. And so I just used like my closet as the backdrop cause it had a dark inner wall. So I would just kind of stand out against the background and we only had, we had like, you know, a really, you know, uh, kind of a dramatic single light light source we got these dramatic shadows and everything and all this contouring and whatnot and and basically like my friend was there just kind of clicking the shutter these were almost self-portraits but i was like hey can you put move over here can you get this angle blah 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 because i knew i knew what i was trying to do from the beginning and it came out it came out pretty decently i gotta say because like i said it got it got the attention of photographers almost immediately when i posted them so that's so cool that that is like that's like the the OG like way to go that like shooting with your friend, like in the closet at your parents' house. Oh, that's, <laughs> yep. that, that story, it, it tickles me. I, I love that we had to have this conversation because just knowing that story. And then you started on OMP. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people that I've interviewed started on model mayhem because OMP like died out. Like, all right. Yeah. So yeah. you were you were like in your late teens or early twenties or something? I was let's see, I was twenty-four when we did that first shoot. I had moved back into my parents' house because I'd gone to college and dropped out. <laughs> and then I was working full time at an animation studio actually at the time. And then uh, I was, you know, still like exercising and doing the thing. So I was in like good shape, but I was trying to go back to school and move and things like that. So I was like back at like a local community college. And that's where I met this friend who shot the pictures with me. And I was taking classes and everything because my plan was to, you know, build up my port build up my art portfolio to submit to different schools and try to get into school somewhere. And it was not even three to four months after that initial shoot that I got accepted to a school here in DC and I just, and then I moved. So, yeah. Would, would I be correct if I were to say that like things like fashion have never been as much of an interest for you or? Fashion is an interest for me, but not as a model. I'm very, I love fashion design. Like if I ever got invited to a couture show, I would shit myself. Um, <laughs> like I love fashion design. I love seeing what people create. It informs my own like artistic process. Like when I'm doing my drawings or illustrations or anything like that, like I love that stuff. And, 
and also like fashion photography, I really, really enjoy because, you know, in the end, kind of like, it's not that all photography is the same, but you have to take the same things into account when you're doing photography. You have to look at the light and how things reflect. And like when you're dealing with fashion, you have to look at how the light reflects on the fabric and how shadows are cast and, and all this other stuff. And you have to take into it. You just have to take into account all of you know, a lot of the same factors, there's just like more of them when you're dealing with fashion photography. But like posing is, you know, pose like doing pose coaching with a model with fashion photography is really not any different than with nude photography. You're just, it's, do you just have a couple extra factors you have to take into account? That's really all it is. And especially like after all the figure drawing classes and everything, we dealt with like drapery and folds and fabric and things like that. So I know the kind of aesthetic I'm looking for when it comes to that. So if I'm going to do any kind of like, if I was going to, as a photographer, do some kind of a fashion shoot, those would all be things that are the, at the forefront of my mind. But no, as a model, I wasn't really interested in doing fashion for a couple of reasons. One, I was already too big. Uh, when I started modeling, I was like, uh, run with, like for runway shows and things like that, they want models to be these skinny coat hangers. And oh. I, have, I haven't been skinny since I was like in my teens, you know? <laughs> so I was already too big to do that. And I wasn't interested in like starving myself to lose weight so that I could be any kind of a runway model or a fashion model, you know? The... When it came to fashion photography, the kinds of things that really got my attention was like the old Calvin Klein ads, like the Obsession Calvin Klein ads. That was really cool because those were dramatic, you know, and I liked those. But those were also nude. So, you know, they weren't really fashion. <laughs> so yeah. I would say the ad, like generally speaking, fashion photography hasn't been that much of a thing for me. I've done, I think, three shoots where I was wearing anything significant, all told. And they were fine, but they weren't anywhere near as much fun. So, Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel a bit the same way about modeling fashion. I feel like the way that I want to express myself, I'm expressing myself with my body. Mm. And when I'm modeling, clothing is covering up my body. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's inhibiting. And yeah, like certain clothing, of course, is less inhibiting. Like I've done shoots where... Like I'm wearing a pair of spandex shorts, you know, but, and then it's, you know, I might as well be nude, but like for the thing that we were doing, it wasn't necessary. And, uh, the, like, like I said, aside from the few shoots where I was wearing real clothes, like there was a, a wedding fashion shoot that I did. That was nice. But yeah, that was the only, like I was, that's the only time I actually wore like a suit, you know, <laughs> like it's the first time I had done, that was the first time I had modeled wearing like, you know, a shirt and tie and a suit and pants and dress shoes and all this other stuff. But yeah, other than that, like the most I'd worn was like, uh, like I'd worn like lingerie. I had like, you know, a couple of hooded things. I have this one androgynous dress that I really like that I had gotten for my birthday one year. But yeah, like I didn't model wearing much in the way of clothing most of the time. Because yeah, like it gets in the way of the kind of the ex the physical expression of what I'm trying to do. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Cool. Not that it can't be fun, but it's just not my main jam when it comes to modeling. Word. I'd I'd like to move on to a new topic because mm. this is a question that I've been dying to ask you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have this bit on my podcast that I call the photo shoot fail of the week. 
<laughs> can you describe a, a time, and you can tell more than one story if you want, where mm. you had a photo shoot that went awry or perhaps the situation surrounding the photo shoot was crazy or the photographer themselves was out of line. Okay. All right. All right. So I have a few stories there. Mm -hmm. Um, There are three that come to mind. One is really short. Uh, So I'll start with the really short one. I was working with this one model and photographer. It was like uh, a location. Not Let's see. We'd done a location shoot with him too, but we did a thing where we were working together in his studio and he had this place that he rented that had all kinds of cool sets and whatnot. And we're in there and I wouldn't say the shoot went awry, but it was a little bit odd. Me and the model, good friends, had good chemistry, that kind of thing. So it was fine. We were doing some kind of semi-erotic stuff going back and forth here and there. And that was cool. But at one point, he wanted me to bite the other model's ass. <laughs> and we were both just like, eh? And we kind of like sat back for a second <laughs> and just like conferred with each other. It was like, okay, we can totally simulate that. But then the other model was like, eh, do it for real. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, you're sure? She was like, yeah, it's fine. We'll get a really good expression out of it. I'm like, you're positive. She was like, yes. I'm like, you're sure? I had to ask. I asked so many times. And then it was just like, okay, here we go. Is everybody ready? All right, cool. Here we go. And chomp. And it was, <laughs> it's a funny picture. Oh my God. <laughs> Just the remembering the situation. It's a funny picture. Looking at it, it looks actually pretty sexy, but remembering just the situation around it i'm just kind of like that was awkward and funny so that was one where it's just like hmm that's not what i was planning on doing when we came in today <laughs> uh so another situation situation where it was a planned erotica workshop right and we were i was there with a model again somebody who had good chemistry or else she wouldn't have asked me and we're doing the workshop and everything's going fine. Like lots of good pictures are being taken. We're getting good angles on stuff. Things are going really, really well. But afterwards, and this was uh, the other model was white. So afterwards, what ended up happening is that the two of us both kept getting contacted for to do more shoots like that. But they wanted us to be way more explicitly erotic than either of us ever would have negotiated for. And certainly more than what had happened in that shoot. Like they basically wanted us to, to do porn. And we were both like, Hmm, that's not really what we do. Thank you for your interest, but no, thank you. Right. And it just kept going and it kept going like for a good three months. Like the two of us would be sharing stories of like, yeah, this people want us to model for them, but they want us to do this. I'm like, well, we're not doing that. Certainly not for the amount they're paying, you know? And we had this running gag that every time somebody asked us to do porn, we would double the amount that it would cost. (laughs) (laughs) And so it got to the point where we got to the point where we had, it had come across so many times that our low limit was $10,000 each. Oh God, wow. <laughs> so it wasn't going to happen. You know, if somebody actually did offer us that, we probably would have considered it, but of course not. Nobody's going to do that. But then the other thing that came out of that was that these photographers were individually contacting me as, and they wanted me to come in to model with model of their choosing who was always also white because they wanted to do some kind of like this interracial 
BBC erotica fetish kind of shoot, uh-huh. right? which was just like, no, <laughs> right? And I already, the funny thing is leading, coming into this, I already had a huge problem with this, not just because of like the racist overtones of it, but because I had dealt with it personally. I had a, I have a long history in the kink scene and I ended up about, and I want to say it was like 2014, before I'd really gotten back into modeling, 2014, 2015, I had dealt with numerous people who were basically just fetishizing me because I was black. They only wanted to interact with me because I was black. It's like, oh, I've never been with a black guy before. Uh-huh. And I was like, and you're not gonna, <laughs> not with that attitude, you know. And they had no they had no interest in who I was as a person. They had no interest in my personality. They didn't care if like if our kink interests actually lined up. Their only thing they were they were interested in me for was the fact that I was black. And these photographers were basically the same thing. They were treating me like a gigantic sex doll for this model that they wanted me to work with because I was black. They wanted to have this large black sex doll for their model to to model with. And I was just, and I'm sure you have, I'm sure, you know, you and many other women you've had on this podcast have experienced this. I was just a fetish object for these people's gratification and i am not interested in being that so i turned all of those shoots down naturally and i would have made a lot of money if i got along with that but i refused to because i do not want to be a fetish object and i especially don't want to be a racial fetish object like what the fuck you know so yeah so that was right out but yeah but that went on for a while and it wasn't until i had turned down a good 10 to 15 jobs that people stopped asking. Oh, wow, <laughs> so. that's intense. I guess like when it comes to porn and fetishes or I suppose anything that's not you or you're not comfortable emulating, like there, there's a certain amount that you have to negotiate with yourself. Like how much do I want to sell my soul to right. you know, further into modeling? How much money do I want to make and how much of myself do I want to put up for sale? Exactly. You know? <laughs> And that was a hard line that I absolutely would not cross. So good for you. Yeah. So I mean, was, was I mean, that would be hard, especially if there's a lot of money involved. People were offering me, a, I mean, certainly what I at the time considered to be a lot of money for that. And I was like, I only have to, and I only have to be there for like an hour. I mean, hmm. Uh, but no, you know, once I realized what the material was, I was like, no, no, we're not doing that. And yeah, but people were willing to actually pay me quite a bit. And, but I just, I refuse to do it. It's too bad because, you know, money, but also no. But then, so, so that's two. Third story. Okay. Uh, the third fail was I was at this large group shoot, a uh, big, uh, what they call a shootout up in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was a shootout at the old school. If you've ever been to the old school in Pennsylvania, do you know what? Yes. Know what Is it place? the Shenandoah school? Yeah. Yes, yes, I yes, have been the there. Run down. Yeah, it's great. It's a beautiful location. There's so like the way the light comes in some of the windows in some places, and there's like grass growing out of the floor. Like it's so cool. But so, you know, really great, like, you know, Urbex kind of stuff. And so I was there for that. And, you know, I was shooting with different photographers and stuff and getting good pictures. And I worked with this one particular photographer who I will not name because I don't feel like calling anybody out like that today. But so I worked with him and like we did like some solo stuff and some duo stuff with a person who became a friend of mine afterwards. And 
we, you know, after we did the solo things, you know, we did a bunch of other stuff. And then, you know, we got the pictures back and the pictures came back great. And he was like super impressed with me, which I was like, you should be. But, uh, you know, he was like really <laughs> impressed with me and our work. And he was really happy with the pictures. And I was really happy with the pictures and everything. And he posted one of them, you know, obviously, you know, made rendered Instagram safe, but because these were all art nudes. But he posted one of them to his Instagram story saying, and I quote, the best model I have ever worked with is a male. And then he tagged me as like, this is who this is. Go check them out. And I was like, that's awesome. That is high praise indeed coming from somebody, you know, to be considered the best model they'd ever worked with. And I'd seen this guy's portfolio. He had some good stuff in there. And, but then I was never put in his portfolio, actually. He posted the one image to his Instagram story. And of course, those only last for 24 hours. And once yeah. that 24 hours was up, it was gone. And I was never put in his portfolio. And to this day, I am not in this man's portfolio, to my knowledge. And I was like, well, wait, if I'm the best model you've ever worked with, why am I not in your portfolio? And it turns out the reason I am not in his portfolio is because I do not have breasts and a vulva. <laughs> and it turns out that I am not marketable to his audience. And so I was never put in his portfolio. And that's not the first time I've dealt with that. There have been other people who they've seen my image in their portfolio and their audience has complained. Now, those people thankfully stood up for me <laughs> and said, you know, basically, if you don't like it, get out. Yeah. Um, but this guy was not one of those people. He refused to in, in, to avoid alienating his audience, which is something I heard from another photographer who I had wanted to work with and who actually refused to work with me. Uh, to avoid alienating his audience, he would refuse to put me in his portfolio. That's crap. That it's sucks. Absolute bullshit. <laughs> so, like yeah. the fan, so the fans, like on Instagram, that are like looking at the pictures, like are usually not people that are going to hire you anyway. Exactly. Like they're people from all around the world who are just clicking like because I don't know they like boobs or whatever. So there's also yeah. like a moral dilemma of. Do I post this photo because I want likes or do I post this photo because I like this photo? Right. Yeah. It's in a matter of self-expression or marketing. And according to, I guess I wasn't, I, I uh, wasn't the right product for his target demographic. So he thought he was going to lose followers or something. I guess so. So, yeah, <sighs> that's stupid. It's what really stupid. Your... <laughs> and also again, you know, here's another person who even in working with me, didn't really acknowledge my gender terribly well, <laughs> you know, use the wrong pronouns and all kinds of stuff. And also just, he did do me the mild service of referring to me as simply male, not a man, but also like, <laughs> you know, but then of course I was never seen again on his page. So, yeah. That's lame. That That's like just um, a lack of an ability to, you know, show the work that you've done that you believe in that he's already stated is really good work just because right. he has an idea of what his that's kind of like being your followers bitch, honestly. Like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it shows a it shows a tremendous lack of artistic integrity. Yes, for of, exactly. For the sake of money and likes and follows. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, that tells me a lot about you as a person, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. It was just very disappointing because otherwise that was such a good day and I got so yeah. many great images out of it from him, you know, 
and numerous other photographers, but specifically from him. And then, yeah, he just never, he never used them. So it's and, like you could post him and tag him on your, on your profile, but mm -hmm. he wouldn't. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's disheartening. Yeah. And, uh, in an act of petty, I decided not to post them and tag him. <laughs> so I was like, well, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, you know, so, cause I had them up there for a little while and then he did that. And then I was like, Oh wait, am I'm sorry. Is the best model you've ever worked with not good enough for your portfolio? Well, excuse me, you know. So yeah, so I took him down. That sucks. Yeah, mm. totally lame. Yeah. I want to rewind a little bit because we, mm. we were talking a bit about the erotic shoot that you had, and then how a yep. bunch of people were requesting erotica. And I know that you and I have talked along with another person in the recent past about erotic modeling and the communication of boundaries and that you have a product that you are working on uh, releasing to the wild in the near future. And I'd like for you to, to talk about that. Absolutely. Okay. So I'll give a little bit of background before I go into what it is. So one of the things that I realized via modeling is that talking about boundaries and communication and communicating about like th uh, communicating about boundaries when it comes to erotic work uh, specifically in photography a lot of photographers tend to play pretty fast and loose with it and models tend to go with it and they set their own boundaries and generally speaking it's left up to the model to define their boundaries and try to stick to them and hope that photographers don't just like take advantage of them or and there's a lot of ways that photographers can do that because of like power dynamics that exist in the situation. Like we have, you know, if a photographer has rented a studio and is trying to get a certain kind of content out of it and they're on a, and they're on a time crunch, they can kind of leverage the fact that they've paid all this money to get this model here and that they're paying the model, blah, 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 to try and get the model to do something they're not comfortable with. Or if it's a home shoot, they can take advantage of the fact that, well, you're in my house and this kind of thing. I invited you into my personal space to do this intimate thing and blah, blah, blah. And so they can demand things or they can leverage in both in either situation, they can, you know, kind of leverage money against the model. They can be like, well, I'll pay you this extra if you do this thing or whatever. But like if the model's A, not comfortable with it or B, like, hey, this is not what we set out to do in the first place so throwing more money at me now is you know is this is not a good play like there's all these situations like that that can arrive and then of course there's the whole issue with like you know photographers touching models when they're not supposed to and when it's like outside of you know the their boundaries of their negotiation and things there's all kinds of other problematic things like that and what i found out about partially via like doing research into things like the me too movement and stuff like that and how these things are changing is that uh, on movie sets, when you have to do scenes of eroticism or intimacy or nudity or anything like that, they now hire what are called intimacy coordinators to set the boundaries and help enforce the boundaries and guidelines between directors and actors and things like that. And they help to make the set safer generally, and also just help the Actors feel more comfortable in the scene. They help choreograph if it's just like a simulated sex scene or even just a kiss sometimes or just like a shower scene where there's like drama happening, but there's nudity going on. They will actually help choreograph and stage the scene so that 
it flows so naturally that there's no like questions of how things are supposed to go. It just removes a lot of awkwardness. And I thought, hey, it would be really cool if we had intimacy coordinators for photo shoots because that would take away a lot of awkwardness. Now, of course, logistically speaking, having intimacy coordinators for every photo shoot that, that happens is impossible. There's a lot of freelance models, so many traveling models, you know, it's not like some people are going to a central location. Like they have intimacy coordinators at Playboy now, right? But that's because they have the money for it, first of all. And also people will go to a specific spot and they'll send all their people there. You know, they have their directors and makeup artists and everything. They have a whole crew and an intimacy coordinator is part of that. So I, I was got to thinking like, how can we make this kind of boundary enforcement available to somebody like a traveling model or a freelance model? And so I did kind of the long, the long version of this. I, did, I took the long path and actually started taking intimacy coordinator classes because I wanted to understand the language and the vocabulary that goes into it. And it turns out that the first few of those aren't terribly expensive. Uh, so I was able to do that. I was able to learn these things relatively quickly. And then building the terminology, it's just like, okay, cool. Now I know how I can start to tailor this to the model photography industry. And so I talked to a couple of my instructors and I was like, hey, how can I, and I asked them flat out, like, how can I adapt this? How could this be adapted to the model photography industry? And there were some emails back and forth. Like one person didn't really know because he didn't know anything about photography. So he referred me to another person. They referred me to another person. They referred me to another person. Then I finally got like my partner in crime and we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to figure this out. Because it turns out this person, her name is Mackenzie Lawrence. She is an intimacy coordinator. She lives in Canada. She has worked on projects you've probably seen. And she, like, if you look up her IMDb, you'll find some familiar things on there. But she, her husband is a photographer. And she has for a long time wanted to also bring that intimacy coordinator language into onto her husband's photo sets and help him out. Right. And so when I brought this up to her, she was like, Oh my God, this is perfect. Yes. Let's absolutely like, let's figure this out. And I showed her, I had started working on a document that was similar to a nudity writer that people get on mo for movie and movies and TV now, especially for like premium TV, like Hulu and stars and like Netflix and stuff like that. They have an HBO or excuse me, max. It's not HBO anymore, but so they have nudity writers, which are basically documents that outline what an actor is willing to do in terms of nudity and, and like a simulated intimacy on set. And it's very clear, like they have like, in some cases, they'll just have a blank space where an actor can write it in. Or in some cases, they have like more of a checklist. And then that way, and that kind of thing is decided long before people actually are on set and doing the scene. I think it's even done like before the table read with the script, like so they know what's going into it. And then the people involved in the scene will work with the intimacy coordinator on how to choreograph the scene, how they want to stage it, where the camera is going to be. So they know what level of nudity is necessary for what camera angle, if they need uh, what are called modesty garments, like pasties or like a strapless thong that's like flesh colored and taped on. And so it's blended in with makeup and everything. So people kind of look like mannequins in a way, but you know, when the way that it's shot, it looks like a nude body. They have all kinds of tools for that. And so, yeah, I wanted to adapt that to the model photography space. And so I came up with this document that was like, all right, 
want to have a generalized agreement that like, you know, we're doing, we're doing this photo shoot for X amount of time on this date, all the standard contract release form kinds of things, but then, you know, have a bit in there that's like, you know, and according to section B, this is the level of exposure that we're working with. And then it refers to section B, which is the second page that has a full checklist in terms that details out what levels of exposure we're talking about. So, and I get really detailed, like it's, I go fully into like, you know, is if it's like a bikini or lingerie shoot, like, you know, how much coverage is there actually? Like how much exposure is there? Are we doing like, is it like a tiny thong? So there's like full buttocks out there. Is it like one of those, like the friggin', uh, those really super miniature, like German, German made bikinis where it's like super see-through when it's wet and like, there's barely any coverage in the front. So like, you know, it covers like your labia barely, you know, and like, that's (laughs) it, you know? Uh, like, you know, are there, like, if it's a lingerie shoot, is the lingerie sheer? Like, you know, if it's like, if it's, you know, what we refer to as an implied nude shoot or a covered nude shoot, like, is it going to like, is it like a sheet? Is the sheet sheer? Where's the light? Where's the camera going to be? Like, we talk about what's going to be exposed. Is it just buttocks visible from the side that that changes how, you know, you operate? If it's, you know, full buttock exposure from the back, then that changes how you operate. And so I, you know, detail all those things. And then if it's, you know, if it is, if it falls under that wide umbrella category of an artistic nude shoot, one of the things that I did with the document is that I didn't want style to be a determining factor. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want, because I didn't want to give somebody the leeway of saying, oh, well, it's art nude. So that means X, Y, and Z, because art nude means different things to different people, you know? Yeah. I wanted to make sure that it was very clear that no matter what the style is, the level of exposure is, the level of exposure only only goes this far, according to these things that the model and photographer have checked off and agreed to. And yeah, and I wanted to make it so that it, it was a thing that could be discussed long before the model and photographer or multiple models and multiple photographers got on set. And then it could be reviewed when they were on set, making sure, okay, these are the boundaries we've lined up. Are we all still okay with this? Okay, cool. And then people can go into the shoot and they don't have to think about if a photographer is going to try and get a different angle than they've agreed to, or if the photographer is going to ask them to do something that they didn't agree to in the first place. And there is like wiggle room there. Like there's always a maybe section and there's a bit on the document where people can write in, you know, their conditions for things because some people are comfortable, comfortable with certain levels of exposure under certain conditions and not comfortable with that level of exposure under other conditions. Like some people are totally fine with like full nudity in a studio because it's clean and sterile and you don't have to deal with debris, you know, but other people are not so comfortable with full nudity in like an urban exploration situation because there's like glass and nails and metal and (laughs) and garbage all over the place. Maybe they don't want to be fully nude there. Right. So it takes those things into consideration. And then also sometimes people change their minds while they're there. They And I wanted to make sure that there was the space for somebody to say, hey, I thought I was okay with this. I'm not feeling super comfortable with it now. Can we leave that out? And I also wanted to give people the room to say, hey, I thought I wasn't going to be okay with this, but things I'm vibing really well with you and things are really comfortable. We can write this in 
to, you know, to the document. So then we both initial and, you know, initial and dated on the day. So we know that we've both agreed to it, agreed to this change the day that it's happening. And that way there's a, there's a paper trail, there's a written form for everybody. And that way, if there are any issues, people can come back to them and say, well, you know, this is what we signed off on. And so we did agree to it. And then even if people change their minds, change their minds after that and said, yeah, I know I felt okay with it on the day, not feeling so okay with it now. Can we talk about maybe we don't release these pictures or we keep them, you know, we don't put these in our portfolios for a little while yet until I feel, until I've had some time to think about it and talk about it with folks. Like that's, there is so much communication that has to happen. It's never really a one and done deal. Communication is ongoing until the two people just decide they never want to talk to each other. Communications, communication when it comes to consent and boundaries, first of all, in non-professional intimate setting between partners, that kind of communication should be ongoing anyway. But yes. in a professional setting where money is involved and people's reputations are involved and you know things are going on the internet and, and we all know the internet is forever, <laughs> you know, communication about boundaries is even more, not even more important, but it is likewise important in that situation too, because then you're not just dealing with two people. You're dealing with the two people who were there and the entire wide, vast internet who will now have access to your imagery. And if you don't want your labia out there and this person violates that agreement, once it's on the internet, it's out there forever. So, Pretty you much. know. So the document works as an aid to communicate between both the model and photographer and I've I've looked at it too for anybody listening that's curious it is very thorough it has a lot of check boxes where I'm okay like if you're okay with somebody else another model or whatever putting their hand on your breast or not your breast or on your stomach or there's like a check box for like everything that you could think of so mm. things that you wouldn't have thought to say oh I'm not comfortable with that or oh yes I am comfortable with that like Marcus has thought of everything that could possibly be brought up or asked for this document. I really tried to make it as comprehensive as possible to a point where when we were first reviewing it, it actually was a little bit redundant in some spots. <laughs> and so we kind of pared those down a little bit. But yeah, I tried to be absolutely as comprehensive as possible to make sure that I covered at least, at the very least, all of the most likely situations. And then also, yeah, again, I left like blank areas for like, if it's a shoot, if it's a shoot with like two models and one photographer, for instance, you know, you have all the general stuff regarding levels of exposure. And then there's a thing when you want to talk about interaction between the two models, I have a section for that. And then also a blank space where the models can talk to each other and they can write down what they are okay with in this blank space that covers anything that wasn't part of the checklist. And yeah, I wanted to make sure that I included that because there's always something that's going to come up that I don't think of. So. Yeah. And w one example in my life that I'm thinking of just as we're talking about this, that people listening might find fascinating is that, I mean, the, I've, I've done like various benign fetish type work, photos and video and there have been times where I get to a shoot and I didn't know that this was a thing that I would have, you know, had to think about, am I comfortable with this or not? One of them was with foot fetish, am I comfortable with putting my mouth on another model's foot mm. or, or am I m comfortable 
sucking the other model's toes. And I was like, am I comfortable with that? Like, I'm not sure. And so, so things like that could be written in if there's not already like a space for it. Right. Exactly. Like with the shoot that I mentioned earlier, you know, I was suddenly asked to bite the other model's butt. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, we, we had not talked about that. And we'd been like, we'd been planning that shoot for a month, you know, and that had never come up. And suddenly there we were. And it was just like, uh, hmm, <laughs> you know. And the other thing about having this document, too, is if you plan to work with a photographer again and they bring up something maybe on the day that wasn't part of the document before, you have the freedom to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with that this time because it's not something we talked about previously, but now that you've brought it up, you know, we can include that in the next shoot. We can have that be part of the document next time around. And I, that's a perfectly fair thing to do. And it, it just allows, it gives a good framework for discussion. And the other thing too, like I said, it leaves out the, uh, the idea of style. So it gives everybody, everybody's using the same language and using the right. same vocabulary when they're talking about their boundaries. So Somebody can say, like, so you don't have the situation where somebody comes in and says, yes, I want to do art nudes when they mean erotic art nudes or art erotica, right? Yeah. Other person or another person can say they want to do like glamour nudes when what they mean is something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, you know. I know exactly. What, I've, I've had a photographer say they want to do art nudes. And then later I find out that they're like, oh, I'm working on macro photography and I want to do mm -hmm. close ups of your spread vagina and i'm like right. that's not my idea of art nudes you know <laughs> right exactly and it's not that that kind of thing can't be artistic but you need to be clear about that up front. right yes exactly so yeah. what is your plan to have this release and how do you think that people are going to be able to access this document all right. Well, the current plan, we're planning, me and Mackenzie are planning to do like a, basically a series of sort of TED Talks. They're basically like Zoom meetings, Zoom presentations where we're going to be doing this. We're planning one for uh, late August. Uh, and the date for that will be up on social medias and, and things like that. And people can like buy tickets for it and everything. Because as much as we want this accessible to people, we live in a capitalist society and we want to get paid. Plus, the Screen Actors Guild strike just started, which means that all film production is shut down pretty much, which means that people who are intimacy coordinators, like my friend Mackenzie, are not working So and still have bills to pay. So that's a thing. But also, but yeah, like, so we're planning uh, basically just digital talks like that, digital meetings where people can, you know, models and photographers can come in and, you know, be in the space and ask us, you know, we can make this presentation about the things we can talk about intimacy coordinator terms and how they and how people can use that vocabulary in their communication when they're negotiating, you know, boundaries between models and photographers. And also, you know, when we do those talks, we will give people a link to the PDF that has uh, that has the document in it. I am in the process of trying to make that document interactive. Very few ways to do that that aren't expensive. So I'm trying to figure out a, a cheap way to do it. Might have to bootleg some software. I don't know. Hmm. Nobody heard of it. Have you used JotForm? What is that? No, I have not heard of that. I've um, tossed around with like, how do I make a form like interactive for people that I send it out to? And JotForm is like a, it's like a website. So the form is hosted on JotForm. So it's, okay. it's not like a PDF. So a lot of people don't know how to use PDFs on various devices, but JotForm is on a website. So you can make like uh, questionnaires and stuff on it. 
Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. But yeah, so that's one thing we're trying to do is make it so that people have access to the document they and they can interact with it. They can, you know, click things and fill things out and, you know, and kind of do their negotiations, you know, kind of live. Like if people are chatting online or they're talking on the phone, they can, yeah, both have access to the thing and they can go through it and negotiate it themselves and print it out if they want or just have it separate so that they can refer to it at any given point. But yeah, so that's the thing we're trying to do. There's also going to be like, there's a, a post-talk questionnaire that we're going to, that that's just going to be a Google Doc that we're going to send around. But yeah, the plan is to do that fairly regularly. Yeah, the first one will be around the end of August. We're trying, we're going to try and do it at least once a month if we can. But it's going to depend on how the first one is received and, you know, and we're just going to take it from there. And we're going to present it to as many people as possible. One thing that I personally want to do is try to connect with Model Alliance, which is basically the Screen Actors Guild for Models, but like not exactly. And I want to try and connect with them because they, I know that they have been trying to work with various agencies and things like that to try and get more protections for models. And so more so that models in like highly what we consider to be kind of highbrow industry so that models are not taken advantage of because models are rather infamously taken advantage of. Yeah. And so we're trying to we're trying to limit that. So if we can work with Model Alliance on this kind of thing, that would be really helpful in pushing it forward. So that's, that's, cool. another, that's another step we're working towards. Cool. Well, I'll definitely share the link to any of these TED Talk type discussions that you guys do and I'll, I'll do my best to attend if I'm available. Many thanks. I hope so. Yeah, because this is something that I feel is just really important. If nothing else, giving people the language to negotiate is going to be the thing that's going to kind of push the conversation forward. Like, yeah. I don't think anybody necessarily needs to use my form every single time. But if you have, you know, just vocabulary around consent negotiation for a professional setting like that, having that as your backdrop and having that common language, I think will go a long way towards, you know, well, preventing boundary violations, but also having those negotiated boundaries established early and having that going into a photo shoot will allow people to not think about whether their boundaries are going to be crossed or whether they're going to be asked to do something that they're not comfortable with and they can focus on doing the work and they can bring their best effort and all of their concentration towards doing the work because they don't have to worry about where the boundaries are boundaries are right set the, play, the, the sandbox is set up you can just go play in it and there you go that's and awesome then, i mean in a perfect world that that idea that you know everything has been discussed and i don't have to like you know, fight to, you know, be seen in, in what my boundaries are for, you know, how erotic I want to get at a particular shoot. Like, like, I feel like the way for the future of modeling could potentially be so much softer, easier, which makes it easy to be creative and vulnerable. You kind of have to be vulnerable in order to like, be getting good photos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one more question that I want to ask you. And I know that we are running a little long on time, but that's okay if you have a, a few extra moments. Totally. Cool. This is a part of my podcast that I call the Rising Phoenix mm. part of your life. Can you describe something, whether it's related to your modeling or, or not, where you were faced with some kind of a challenge, whether it was um, an insecurity that you had to overcome or like a career challenge that you had to overcome? 
Hmm. Let's see. I would say, actually, all right. I think the situation here, it's, it wasn't so much of a challenge, or rather I should say it turned out not to be a challenge. I thought it was going to be. And then it turned out to work out amazingly. Just in the modeling space, I was working with, I had been contacted to work with a photographer. I'd been referred to this person and I had never met this person, had barely communicated, had no idea what to expect. I'd seen their portfolio and it looked good, but that's all I knew, right? I had like one look of their face. So like I knew, who, at least I knew who I'd be meeting when I got to set, right? And we were shooting in an Airbnb and I was like, oh God, I don't know this person. I don't know what's going on. But like we talked a little bit and they seemed comfortable with all my gender stuff. And, you know, we wanted to keep things reasonably simplistic because uh, that's how they operate. And I'm like, okay. And I get there and I meet them and they were cool as fuck. <laughs> like the, just the best person. And I really, I was worried going in. And then as soon as I met them, they immediately put me at ease. It was like, and the, sh the shoot was like magic. It was to this day, in my opinion, the best shoot that I've ever done. And I would love to work with this photographer again, but now they're like halfway across the country. Um, yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, they're super cool. The name is Jordan Belly, if anybody wants to look that person up. They're amazing. And, yeah, working with them was probably the best experience I'd had. And it was, you know, highly, like, gender-affirming. And they, like, you want to talk about, like, letting vulnerability flow. Like, it was so easy to, like, turn that on. And the pictures that we got are, yeah, like my favorite to date. And one of the things that I really liked about it is that they were a lot, like me and Jordan synced up really well in terms of while we were, you know, doing like, you know, kind of art nudes and very kind of like intimate portrait kind of nudes, you know, mm -hmm. the, the photography was much less focused on how my body looked and much more on like on basically the emotion that I was presenting, you know? And while I do kind of, I tend to be a bit dramatic <laughs> with how I pose, when working with Jordan, it allowed me to do that way more, with a lot more subtlety than I think I had before. And like I said, I was allowed to bring a, I was allowed to bring a lot more vulnerability to that shoot than I had to any other shoot. And it was a really beautiful experience. And it, and the pictures came out amazingly so i was it's very really, very happy with that shoot that's what i'm getting out of this kind of bringing it full circle at the beginning of the podcast we were talking about the progression of your modeling and it seemed that a point of of tension was often you wanting to be yourself for photo shoots and photographers that could not understand who you are because they could only see you through like their narrow worldview and mm. that brought attention into your modeling life and then to have this one instance where you had a photo shoot where you weren't sure about it before but then it turned into this amazing vulnerable like expressive experience yeah. and having that singular photo shoot be a rising phoenix moment for you it really really goes to show how much for a lot of people especially people who don't model very often but but i mean you have modeled often so it, this is impactful a lot of people a photo shoot can change your life Absolutely. Like, and a lot of people a lot of us who've been like doing this a lot for a long time maybe we feel like we're so deep into the forest we can't see the trees you know because we're mm. you know we're doing them every week or every other day or whatever but 
but to a lot of people a photo shoot can really it can it can give you an eating disorder or it can make you feel more empowered and beautiful than you've ever felt right exactly yeah and like this was yeah this was a situation where yeah like i felt zero gender dysphoria like practically zero body dysmorphia even because like we weren't dealing you know those weren't the point of the photos you know because we got out of that kind of like we got out of that body focused type of modeling like that was just like the warm-up and then we got into like the really vulnerable stuff and it was really easy to just flow into that and yeah like yeah, Jordan would like really put me at ease and just everything flowed so well. And also because like they're non-binary also. So like they understood where I was coming from and they're like, oh yes, no, this is exactly what I want to do. And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. You know, so it, it flowed so incredibly well. And yeah, that's, those were probably my favorite pictures ever. So That's so, so interesting. I'm just kind of like thinking about all these different things at once with with your description of this and one of them that it was just kind of going through my mind is that a lot of people think that photography and modeling is very like visual and body and what are you wearing and what are you not wearing and what does your body look like and how masculine or feminine feminine are you and mm. and you know how good are you at posing but there's this like other sixth sense human element that you're talking about where this shoot you guys really nailed it really well by yeah. getting into like the person that you are and depicting that. And that there's there's something to that that I think not every photographer can even begin to wrap their mind around. Right, yeah. A lot of, one thing I've seen is that a lot of photographers, either they don't try or they don't know how. So they just kind of be like, well, all right, we'll just focus on the lighting. You know, they, you know, they yeah. kind of don't know how to tap into a model's vulnerability. And some models are just so super comfortable with everything. They know how to turn it on for themselves. Mm -hmm. But like the more I found that the more a model and photographer can connect on that level. And I found this in doing my own photography also when I've been the photographer, like when I am shooting, it's a very large difference when I'm shooting with somebody who I have communicated with frequently and know reasonably well even if they are like a professional model just happen to be touring through you know if it's somebody who i am more friends with the shoot tends to go so much more smoothly than if it's somebody who is just it who is i don't want to say just a professional but somebody who i don't know you right. know who's a professional coming through the area and we're working together there's yeah there's just a different level of vulnerability and it comes out it really does come out in the photos mm -hmm. when you're working together if you actually have a genuine rapport with the person yeah and yeah. in my experience too i can definitely get a sense for and i'm not saying that people have to do this to get good photos but <laughs> when somebody initially emails me to set up a shoot and you know, we're talking about concepts, whatever. That's, you know, standard. We should talk about ideas before getting there. Otherwise, what are we doing, right? right? But then if they mention anything like, oh, I've been following you on YouTube and I noticed, bada, you know, it, they're bringing a personal element to the shoot does make me feel like, oh, they see me as a human and they're interested in me. So therefore, like I'm more invested in how, you know, the shoot is going to turn out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that is absolutely correct. 
yeah, like the more, yeah, the more a person pays attention to you, at, the more a photographer pays attention to a model as a person and not just as an object. And that's actually something I really kind of hate about the word model when it comes to describing a person, because a model is an object. Like, you know, think like a diorama or like a model car. That's not a person. That's a thing, you know. But the more a photographer can bring a per bring a model's humanity into the shoot and can like bring that out of the model the better rapport they have i feel like the more they can do that and the better the shoot is like for real for both for both the model and photographer but also the images just come out better yeah and sometimes it might seem hard to do that if you're living on the road and you're booking shoots every day it there is definitely a lot of emailing back and forth like when models are on tour and they're like oh i have to get back to my emails Part of that is maintaining these conversations with everybody leading up to the shoot to talk about like not just what the ideas are for the shoot, but like if they are interacting with you about what you just posted on Instagram yesterday, you have to, you can't just ignore those messages. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, so. but there's a balance to everything too. Cause if you're, if you're shooting every day, it might not be like, logistically feasible to like generate this many genuine connections to you know shooting every day can get very exhausting definitely so yeah. so i recommend breaks for people but yeah and also trying to maintain like those genuine connections with people so frequently or trying to generate that is mm -hmm. got to be emotionally exhausting also yes so, and the longer you model, the more of these relationships with your creative collaborators you have. And so, you know, you'll touch base. It, it is a community. We are in this little community. We chat with each other. And some, some people message frequently. Some people message once a month. And to be a successful full-time freelance model, part of it is maintaining these relationships. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we want to do artistic collaboration, like, you know, you have to, you have to talk to people and it can't, yeah. <laughs> and like, most of it's going to be about the work, but you're going to ideally like learn something about the people you're working with and you'll be able to hopefully bring some of that into the work also. So, yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, Marcus, we're around a little bit over the usually the amount of time that I have these podcasts, but I would like to, if you have any other additional things that you wanted to bring up, let's, uh, let's get into it before saying goodbye. Things I want to bring up, like I said, we're doing the model photography consent talks. That's going to be yes. towards the end of August. I am currently working on an animated project because that's a very large passion of mine. I have a GoFundMe for that because I'm only doing it part-time and the more funding I have for it, the more time I can, I can devote to it. So I don't know, we can put the link to that in the show notes or something. Yes, I will definitely put the links in the show notes for all of these things. Awesome. And I am on Instagram at Marcus underscore Rasan. I believe that it's it. Marcus underscore. I can never remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll post, I always post the Instagram links in the show notes as well. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll create like a little like snippet of the podcast and share it on, awesome. on my Instagram and on my story and stuff also. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, even though that platform is dying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I am all over the internet. It's all the same username. It's Marcus underscore Hassan. So if you look that up, you'll find me. Yeah, that is 
pretty much me in a nutshell there. I have a lot of things going on that I, I have a lot of things that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to focus up on this animation mainly. And that's, that's the big thing currently. That's really cool. You're maintaining an artistic life. Exactly. Exactly. That's hardcore. Rock and on. maybe I'll get back to modeling next year. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, talking about it is, is exciting too. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've had so much fun having this podcast episode with you and talking awesome. to you and getting to learn about you more. And like, thank you so much for doing this with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll get in touch with you afterwards. And until then, have a good rest of your night. Yes, you too. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.